welcome to the Price of Everything radio show. I'm your host, Tim Price. Joining me this week is Monsieur Arno Gondon, Chief Investment Officer of Heptagon Capital in London. Welcome to the show, Arno. Good afternoon, Tim. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Tell us, to start, tell us a little bit little about yourself and about what you do at Heptagon. Sure. So I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Heptagon. Uh, we are a London-based asset management firm and we advise and manage on close to $8 billion of uh, assets under management. Uh, I spend most of my time managing multi-asset portfolio on behalf of ultra-high net worth individuals and families. Okay. And judging on the basis of the last few weeks' uh, contact I've had with the city, have you got any jobs going? <laughs> uh, well, you can, always, you can always apply. Excellent. So, it's particularly helpful that you, you hail from France because we can now have a uh, a market-related uh, discussion on Brexit. What does Brexit mean to you? Sure. Well, I think putting aside the emotional and, and uh, political debate from an investment p perspective, I think it means more uncertainty. And there's one thing that the market doesn't tend to like is uncertainties. Well, trade, traders like uncertainty, don't they? I guess, yeah, but I, I kind of don't believe that traders actually make any money, you yeah. know, unless you are a CTA, uh, you know... Um, um, a trend-following fund. A trend-following fund. Uh, I guess it would be uh, yeah, quite difficult to make money because there's just so much noise. And also the outcomes are very complex, very unpredictable. So trying to make money on the, on the basis of... Uh, uh, Brexit, no Brexit. You could see that through the through the different uh, probabilities of uh, of the vote in the last few months. I think it's a very uh, dangerous and dangerous. So, um, so yes, uncertainties for um, for markets generally. And I guess we we were already quite um, uh, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but not very excited about the prospect for growth uh, in the UK, in Europe, and in the US all the prospect for growth in earnings per share for equities. So that's just adding one more layer of uh, uh, uncertainty and complexity to you. Uh, so from your perspective, the timing of Brexit couldn't have been worse uh, I, in the I, macro? I, I think it's fair to say. I think it's fair to say. I think, you know, if you look, for example, you know, think about uh, FDIs, foreign, foreign direct investment. Uh, I think the UK has been a big recipient of uh, foreign direct investment the last 25 possibly, years. Possibly one of the biggest in Europe, I think if one not of, the biggest. Yeah, if not the biggest. The and, and clearly, you know, if you're uh, the CFO or the CEO of a company uh, right now, it's, I think it's a fair statement to say that, you know, foreign direct investments are at least going to be stagnant and if not uh, slowing down quite dramatically from here. Um, and if you take, you know, uh, capital expenditure, if you're the CEO again or a CFO of a UK-based company and you plan to uh, uh, spend or you were planning to spend on, on, on CapEx, again, I think it's fair to say that uh, these people are going to sit on the sideline and wait rather than commit to, uh, to further growth. So that has an impact on GDP growth, that has an impact on productivity, that also has an impact on confidence in my, in my view. Do you think there's any um, positive spin we can take from the uh, Britain being, well, voluntarily leaving the, uh, the, the marriage with Europe? Well, I, I, as always, I mean, again, from an investment perspective, any, you know, big dislocation always creates opportunities. So I think there will be opportunities um, uh, to buy assets, you know, uh, cheaply. And if you look, for example, you know, property companies, uh, property investment trusts, which have been trading at a significant premium to in the UK or, in or the internationally UK, so in the UK 
um, those type of uh, uh, investment trusts and companies uh, have you know come off quite quite a bit in the last in the last few days. So you used to be able you know you were, you used to pay a, a premium for this type of companies. Now you probably buy them at quite a nice discount. So there are opportunities. For example, Diageo, as you know, Diageo is a very international company. You know, listed I'm a in huge the, consumer of many of their fine <laughs> products. Listed in uh, in London, so you know. They, they, you know, they, 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 they produce and, and distribute uh, alcohol, and people will still drink alcohol. And suddenly, probably more so now. Probably than more, before. exactly, probably more so now. And and you know, their market shares are going to increase because suddenly they are looking, you know, six, seven percent cheaper than they were a week ago versus the, the you know, an American competitor or a European competitor. So I think there's always there will always be opportunity in a crisis. Excellent. Um, good for the UK in the long run or not? Do you think? I think it's very hard to tell. Um, or is it too we, early? Too early? Yeah, to I think say. it's too early to say. I think make, making prediction generally is a you know is a foolish game in in in, in the markets, especially long term predictions. Um, I think in the short and medium term it's going to be painful for the reason that I mentioned in terms of you know less foreign direct investments, maybe less capex and general uh, uh, lack of confidence. I think you know the fact that the credit rating. Uh, of the UK was downgraded also has an implication on the cost of capital uh, going forward. So short and medium term, I think it's going to be painful. In the long term, it's very hard to say. It might, you know, it might be a good thing, it might be a bad thing, uh, but I think the implications are, uh, there's just, there are just so many moving parts, it's very sure. hard to, to, to make a, a view right. But I, mean, I think I'm right in saying that when I came over here this afternoon, the FTSE, FTSE 100 at least, was actually back to flat for the year to date. So in other words, Brexit apocalypse has been and gone, and the net effect is basically zero. Sure, I think you're going to have a lot of volatility going going forward, where you know market comes back up and then you know slightly drift back again. You, you've, you, but you're right. I mean, if you look at the months to date, the the sterling versus the dollar is only down seven percent, I believe. Um, uh, the the you know the equities market, with the exception of Europe, uh, you know, if you look at the S and P, the S and P was probably off about one one and a half uh, percent. Um, uh, so, um, so yeah, I think there's been a lot of noise, there's been a lot of volatility, but since starting to, uh, uh, to look a bit better. In what way would you say that the Brexit, the post-Brexit environment is different from, say, the ERM crisis when sterling got ethnically cleansed from the exchange rate mechanism in 1992? Well, I think you had a very different set of circumstances back then. I mean, obviously, you know, the sterling is not part of the... Uh, uh, euro as a currency. So, the whole point of the ERM was that the um, uh, you know the currency was in effect pegged to the pegged to the Deutschmark and pegged to a, a basket of currencies. You know that that's not the case. So it's very different. Also, you could look at the environment. You know, you had an environment where you know interest rates were very high back in back in the days. It seems to seems to be very different uh, these days. But you know. Uh, interested where well, 10%, went to 12%, 15%. We're, we're not in such a, it's a very different environment. So I think making comparisons is maybe, um, yeah, I, I, I would probably. So, so it's too easy to say, well, back then, you know, the world, you know, the, every economist worth his salt advised us to stay, to join. We got turfed out and they warned of Armageddon. And in fact, it turned out to be very, very benign. Uh, the economy, which was in recession, came out of recession, inflation fell, GDP went up. Uh, on, a, on a sort of apples with apples comparison, uh, that would lead me to think that if, if, this is, if the current environment is, say, ERM squared or ERM you know, to a more significant degree, 
uh, there's a lot of sound and fury out there, but it, the, the economic impact might actually be, ultimately, will ultimately be benign. I think you might be right. I think the, 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 in my mind, the circumstances are quite different, but I think you might be right in the, uh, in the, in the longer term. You mentioned interest rates, and I brought along just some, some stats in relation to the, the bond market. So th this is from a, a fabulous study by some people at, called Incrementum AG in Liechtenstein, and they every year do a study called In Gold We Trust, and this is their, I think, 10th anniversary edition. Uh, and these are, it would be fair to say, Austrian school thinkers, so they're sound money, liberal, uh, libertarian type investors, uh, sound money uh, investors. But they've got a chart of the, the growth in, uh, well, all kinds of debt, but let's just talk about government debt. So in the US in 2000, um, government debt accounted for 51% of GDP. Now it accounts for 100%, so it's doubled. In the Eurozone in 2000, 72% debt to GDP. It's now 105%. In Japan, and this is where we have the drum roll, in Japan in 2000, government debt to GDP was already 126%, and now it's 250%. How, particularly in relation to Japan, which does seem to be you know, burying itself at a more rapid rate than everybody else, how long can this possibly go on for, do you think? Do you know, I think it's a very interesting question, and I think, you know, being short JGBs is the graveyard of macro the traders. The widowmaker of it's, all trades. It's the widowmaker of all macro traders. I mean, people have been talking about this trade for a very long time, and as you know, you know, interest rates have been extremely low in Japan and have remained low for a long time. So, you know, don't bet your career on, on you know, shorting JGBs. On mean reversion. On mean reversion, because, you know, kicking the can down the road, uh, as the Japanese have demonstrated over and over again, uh, uh, will be you know the, the option that people choose uh, over the over pain. That's very simple. I think one of the you know we were discussing this in in the office uh, earlier on. You think one of the key um, issues with the with the Fed and central banks is that central banks have, be, have become completely um, uh, adverse to a recession. You know, a recession just should not happen, and they become completely. Um, uh, um, yes, completely adverse in in taking pain, at least in the short term. Um, so again, going back to your question, I think you know there are many other ways where central banks can kick the can down the road for a long time. And I think you know we're seeing this being priced in the in the, in the yield of government debt in the, at least in the G7 countries. Um, would I buy government debt at this level? Absolutely not. But would I? Is, that, is there any type of debt you'd buy at the moment? Um, Any type of credit product? Uh, I, I would, I think. So, uh, just on the, on the on government debt, no. But for example, you know, looking at opportunities such as direct lending. So, I think there's a really interesting so alternative finance. Then. So alternative finance. There's, you know, there's a secular opportunity in investing where the, ban the banks are not to be found mm. anymore. So lending to small and mid-cap companies, uh, consumer lending, consumer loan lending, and so on and so forth. Uh, real estate. Uh, back lending, a lot of the banks, uh, you know, are just not in those markets anymore, and have, you know, um, um, retracted from those markets. And I think there are uh, secular opportunity uh, to generate uh, returns for our clients in those private credit type of um, uh, assets. Very broad question, but just looking at banks at a generic level, would you would you be better? Would you rather be long or short bank bank equity risk at the moment? 
I'd rather you know not touch them. I think on the short side, I mean, they've been really uh, taken quite a beating since the, uh, the the Brexit. Why? And again, so on that point, then, and maybe it touches on maybe we we go back to the interest rate question. Why do you think the banks have been such such obvious losers? Such obvious losers from the from the post Brexit uh, sell off. I think it's going back to 2011 and the European crisis, where you know. Um, um, most of the pain from uh, potential disintegration of Europe or potential uh, issues with further referendums or with further countries or stress coming back to countries um, seems to manifest itself through the through the banking stocks and the, and the banking sectors. Uh, although I would argue that you know the situation is very very different in terms of non-performance. Do, do you think it's a reflect? Do you think that the, the poor performance of banking stocks, and it's not just the UK because Europe. Probably eurozone banks have been, if anything, worse performers than British ones. Do you think that has anything to do with uh, the negative interest rate environment that these banks no longer can build interest margins into their business? Of course, I mean it's it's a number of things. It's a perfect storm. You've got Brexit. You have the fact that you know, you know, they are in the business of you know. Uh, uh, borrowing short and lending long, and that business with flat yield curve uh, has nowhere to go. Um, you have also the the regulation, which is really in you know, a strangling them. And we need wings you know, to stay above it these days, don't you? It, it, it's quite unbelievable, and I think you know, uh, it, always when you have a crisis like you had with the you know um, uh, with the crisis we had in two thousand and eight, the pendulum tends to swing uh, too far on the other side, and I think the pendulum has probably gone too far. Uh, in terms of how much regulatory pressures the banks and asset management companies have been under, um, so it's been the perfect the perfect storm for banks. So, I wouldn't I wouldn't short it at this level because I think some of them are looking quite cheap, but I would not buy it either. I think there are better opportunities out there. So, to that point, what would you be recommending clients do now? Sure, I mean one of the things that we have looked at is the fact that value as an approach, I think, is good value. I mean, in how would you define value? It's a very interesting question. I think define value as buying an asset with a very significant margin of safety. Okay. Uh, whether it's a, so a buy, buying a dollar bill for forty cents. So. Correct. Correct. And I think you know value as a style has been uh, very under uh, uh, unfavoured. Has been very uh, unloved. And you have seen you know gross type of companies or company pay, companies paying a high dividend yields or consumer stable companies trading at very very high multiples and a whole all sections of the market trading at you know uh, very low multiples very low price to books and we have I mean that feels sorry to interrupt but that, that feels a lot like late 1999 beginning 2000 mismatch between what was then dot com what I guess now is probably dot com 2.0 or 3.0 and old-fashioned, yeah, the, the, the cheap stuff, I, I, the, the, the not the dot-com, not the fangs. I agree. I mean, one, one of the ways we've been approaching this is that we have been investing with a deep value manager uh, called Dave Iben, uh, who has a UCIT uh, called Copernic uh, Global Fund. And this is the type of manager who will only buy assets with a very, very high uh, margin of safety. So he's been basically buying um, assets that no one wants to touch or wanted to touch. Um, so commodity stocks presumably commodity feature, stocks. Russian stocks presumably feature, Latin American emerging markets. Correct, stocks. so Brazilian utilities, uh, gas uh, producing giant companies in gas, Russia. Gas, gas producing giant companies in Russia. I wonder who that could possibly be. <laughs> you, 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 
yeah, you can you can make an educated guess on, on this. Uh, but basically, you know, stocks trading at PEs of five, uh, uh, maybe price price to book of uh, uh, less than half, um, and you know, buying those companies and holding them for the long term. I think right now where we are in the market, it's probably a better strategy than trying to chase uh, you know high yielding companies or consumer staples. Because and you know, how's Copernic done this year so far? Um, the fund is up 30% for the year, which is really helpful in our portfolios given uh, you know, the, the amount of volatility and uh, the context in the market. So value as a style. Uh, we also like real assets, anything that you know, has low correlation with equities and bonds. In our view, uh, a 50-50 portfolio made 50% bonds and 50% equities will be very challenged over the next mm -hmm. five years. It's going to be very hard uh, to get any returns out of those portfolios um, for the simple reason that starting price or starting yield for bonds tends, to be, so extreme. It's so and extreme. It tends to be a very good predictor yeah. of, uh, of, um, of returns over the next five to ten years. And you're starting at such a low yield that you're pretty much guaranteed that you're not going to make money out of bonds. Same with equities. Starting P's or long-term P's such as the Schiller P's tend to give uh, a good prediction of future returns. And right now we think you know it's going to be very difficult to achieve the kind of return that a 50-50 portfolio has achieved over the last five years and even over the last 20 years. I mean, if you look, I was looking at data prior to uh, say summer of last year, a 50-50 portfolio over five years would have returned maybe 9% annualized with a volatility of four. So you look at the sharp ratio, which is you know, how much return you get for a, um, a unit of risk that you take, and the sharp ratio of, those, of this 50-50 portfolio was uh, around two, which is the kind of sharp ratio that you know, any talented hedge fund manager would be dreaming of in a, in a, in a, in a typical environment. So uh, I think these portfolios are Going to, going to be challenged. So what we are f focusing on is real assets, trying to find ways to play uh, infrastructure, um, properties, specialist property company, uh, direct lending, uh, as I was mentioning earlier on. I think all these uh, uncorrelated um, uh, private asset type of strategies should do well and should hold well in an environment where there's going to be a lack of return for traditional asset classes. Any European, any Eurozone investments that you'd feel comfortable with at the moment from any asset time? I think it's a bit too early to... Uh, uh, and again, it's, you know, it's always going back to price, you know, what sure. price you're paying in an asset. And I think um, credit is very overpriced in, in, in Europe. You know, if you saw that you had a big dislocation in, in credit and in high yield uh, in the US last year, uh, the Europe didn't see anything uh, happening uh, in terms of uh, you know, higher credit, uh, credit spreads, uh, at least in the higher sector. Um, so I think you know, obviously that's changed a little bit in the last, uh, last few days and in the last couple of weeks, but I still think it's quite expensive. So credit is expensive, investment grade is expensive, uh, equities are not exactly you know, cheap. What we got some pockets of the market might be, but overall um, I, 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 we, there's not many things that we find attractive in, uh, in Europe right now. And in terms of value markets, how do you feel about Japan today? I think Japan is a very tricky one. I think you, know, you have good value and you can, can buy cheap assets. But I think there is a question of whether you know, we have reached the uh, limit of monetary policy. Uh, and, you know, the mon Given that, why, why is the yen so strong? I think it's a, you know it's a, it's it's a, the hundred million dollar question. Or is, the, is that just the ultimate articulation of flight to safety? No, but I think it, it, goes, it, it goes back to what I just said. If you you know if you have a central bank that's been you know 
so aggressive and you know creating so much um, uh, money and buying you know JGBs in such a great amount, um, you know, and yet so with a very express view of you know sort of devaluing the currency and the yen, and then the yen start to appreciate. I think people start to lose faith in the ability of the central bank to actually do anything and, and create generate inflation and create growth. Uh, so when that happens, you know, there's a potential for the yen to, uh, to go up. And traditionally, as you know, the yen has been uh, uh, seen as a, a safe haven, at least for Asian currency. And, you know, you saw a ma massive uh, uh, rally in, uh, in the yen in, uh, uh, on the day of Brexit. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the rules don't apply anymore, I think, because of what central bank has done. So it's not an easy uh, trade. I think we'd rather, today I would rather own emerging market equities than Japanese equities. This is one of the few areas of the equity spectrum where we've been overweight versus global equities is emerging market equities because you can buy them at, you know, very cheap ease. Uh, because they've been they've been unloved, they've been affected by the commodity uh, routes that we have seen in, in the past few years, and if you look relative to uh, U.S. equities and global equities, you know they're still negative in the last. You know, if you look in the last five years, they've been in a bear market. So they feel uh, cheap today. They feel cheap today. So we, for the first time in a long time, we bought uh, emerging market equities uh, back in March in our portfolio. Um, and by the way, emerging market equities um, are positive. So the, the MSCI emerging market equities uh, is positive this month versus negative for uh, you know, uh, global equities. And I think uh, up 5% on a relative basis versus uh, global equities uh, since the beginning of the year. So uh, it's actually quite interesting to see how resilient they, they've been despite the uh, volatility and despite that the, the dollar has gone up a little bit on the back of, of Brexit. And by the way, emerging market debt in local currency is up close to 10% this year. You know, again, everything that people did not want to touch, you know, Brazilian bonds or Russian uh, bonds in local currency, um, um, these assets have done very well and we've been investing in those assets for our clients. One last question for you. In an environment of, let's say, rising distrust of central bank, of the efficacy of central bank policy, how, how do you feel about gold today? I, I think gold has a natural place in uh, clients' portfolio. Um, uh, I think you know whether it's five or ten percent. You know, then it's a debate on on, on uh, portfolio construction and whatever uh, other assets you have uh, in your portfolio, whether they are correlate they are correlated or you have any other commodity or precious metal type of exposure in your portfolio. But I think you know, um, I think we are reaching a point, or we will reach a point sometime in the future, where central bank uh, credibility. Will be called to question, and I think when that happens, and it's 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 in effect. It feels like the early days. It feels of that like the early happening. days of that, and it's in you know the the resurgence in the price of gold feels you know um, somehow coincided with you know the central bank in Japan failing to depreciate their own currency or failing to reflate their uh, um, um, their own economy. That's it for this week. You've been listening to the Price of Everything radio show with. Me, Tim Price, manager of the VT Price Value Portfolio, and my guest, Arno Gondon, Chief Investment Officer of Heptagon Capital in London. If you'd like to comment on the show, feel free to engage with me on Twitter. You can cross swords at Tim F. Price. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you on the very next show. Goodbye for now. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you.